The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. To you, Lord. Yes. Jesus spoke to his disciples, saying, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning, friends. It's great to be with you. Um, Father Aaron, thank you for those, those kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, I think one of the most enjoyable things in life is getting to introduce uh, to someone else something that you love, you know, and when it's their first time experiencing this thing. It's, it's just one of the most enjoyable things. But there's an art to it. Because if you really love something, then you probably love it at, at a pretty deep level, at a pretty advanced level. So if it's a certain musician or a band, you don't just love the popular songs that everybody knows, but you love kind of the B-side tracks and, and you love the collaborations and the things that they might not know about. And, uh, and this is where the art comes in. Like, you know, if you love skiing, you probably love like really steep runs and black diamonds and moguls and trees and things like that. But if, if you introduce your friend to skiing with those things, your friend is probably never going to ski again. They might never walk again, right? If you really love cheese, you can't introduce somebody to the stinky cheeses, all right? They, they, they're going to think that's just like foul and weird. You've got to start them with like cheddar and a mild cheddar, right? And, and just sliced nicely um, or Gouda or mozzarella. That's where you've got to start. And that's why this first Sunday of Advent, I, I just, it makes me laugh every year. Because here we are, it's the beginning of the church calendar. And you'd think, you know, maybe we're going to start with some greatest hits. You know, we're going to start with uh, creation or, you know, David and Goliath. Or we're going to start with the Sermon on the Mount. But no, every year we get this passage in the gospel about, you know, the, the signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and the Son of Man coming on the clouds. I mean, this like bold and 
honestly, like confusing language about the end of the world. You know, if you're going to introduce somebody to Jesus, you probably wouldn't start with this passage. Am I right? Advent, every year, it starts with the weird stuff. And, and this message of, of judgment, you know, it's, it's challenging. It strikes this kind of dissonant note in our ears. It kind of grates on us. And I think this is exactly the idea. This is exactly the idea. This reading is supposed to jar us. It's supposed to be alarming in some sense, in the same way that your phone alarm. I mean, can you hear that in your head? Just that terrible, terrible noise. You could sleep through a lot of noises. Very difficult to sleep through radar, you know. It's jarring. It's dissonant. It compels you to get up and do something. And while some of the details of this passage, they're mysterious, the central application could not be clearer. Three times Jesus says it, stay awake. Stay awake, stay awake. And every year, the first Sunday of the year, this is our Advent alarm ringing out for us. And so the questions I want to look at this morning is, what does it look like to stay awake? You know, the, the, the teaching kind of ends there. What does it look like to stay awake? What does it look like to fall asleep? And how is this message of the end of judgment, how is this good news for us? So let's dig into that. What does it look like to stay awake? Well, the short parable that Jesus gives in verse 34, I mean, this kind of makes it clear for us. Jesus is talking about his second coming, the time that he returns to earth where the victory, the final victory that was won on the cross becomes manifest everywhere throughout the new heavens and the new earth and his judgment, where his reign goes on forever. And he says, it's like a man who goes on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. That's key. Each with his work commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house Will return, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Stay awake. In this passage, each of the servants is given something by the master. What are they given? A job, a calling, a vocation. And what the parable teaches is that when the master is delayed in returning, it's very difficult to work. It's very difficult to focus on your job. And so, I mean, this is like when you were a teenager. Some of you are teenagers, and so you're going to, this is very relevant for you, right? Mom's leaving house for the day, and she says, okay, here's a list of things that I want you to do while I'm gone. And you know she's going to be gone all day long. She says, okay, I'm, I'm serious about this. This whole list needs to be done by the time I get home. And you're like, yeah, for sure. Okay, you're not even paying attention. You guys remember this. And so she leaves, and I know what the teenagers in this room did. It's, it's the, or do, it's the same thing we all did. You watch mom pulling out of the driveway, and you immediately get to work. You immediately get to work because you love your mom. Because you know that her commands are not burdensome, they are good. And you know that you partner with your mom in the stewardship of your home. So if you have younger siblings, you're like, let's go, guys. 
We're doing this for mom. Think of what she gave to us. No, that's not what any teenager does. That's not what any of us did. No, instead, I mean, you make a beeline for the refrigerator. You find that Ben and Jerry's. You take the top off. You start eating it with a spoon. You turn on Netflix. You start scrolling your phone. So you're, you know, you're watching something on your phone and Netflix at the same time, texting your friends until, right, until mom calls hours later. And all of a sudden, you realize how much time you've been spending on the couch how warm that ice cream feels, you know, on your sticky fingers. And mom says, hey, I'm going to be home in an hour, and I'm just checking to make sure that you got that list done. And you're like, oh, yeah, for sure. I'm just finishing up. Hang up the phone, and then you start sprinting around the house, and you're yelling at your siblings, hey, you need to clean up your room. You need to do this. You know, you're throwing everything in closets. You're outside sprinting and mowing the lawn, and there's all these you know, pieces of grass sticking up everywhere because you're going too fast. But you're just going to tell your dad later, like, yeah, I think you need to sharpen the blades. Like something, something was wrong with that when I was using it earlier today. The job itself is not difficult. What's difficult is the delay, is not knowing when the master or mom are going to come home. And in all, many of Jesus' teachings on the second coming, there's this tension between the imminence of his return. It could happen at any time and the delay of his return, and the difficulty living out our calling in the midst of that delay. The point of the parable is don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Be ready. You don't know the day or the hour. What is your calling? What is it that he's called you to do? It's this for all of us, to be a worshiper, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's to be a true worshiper, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is your calling. That's your eternal calling, the calling you're never going to move past, calling that's never going to be lifted from you, the calling that brings you life. And you do that in a variety of ways. You do that as a son or a daughter. You do that as a as a brother, sister, as a mom or a dad. You do that as a student. You live out this calling in your workplace. You live out this calling even as you rest, even as you recreate. You know, something, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ask my students is, do you think you could scroll YouTube? You know, the YouTube shorts, those are so enjoyable. Hours can fly by finding new things on YouTube. Do you think you can scroll your phone to the glory of God? My students kind of like laugh. No. I said, well, why not? I mean, our God loves rest. Rest is actually part of your calling. He invented Sabbath. He invented this weekly rest for you. You need rest every day. So why couldn't this, scrolling your phone, be a means of rest to the glory of God? And I challenge them, if you start thinking of it that way, you'll probably experience this. You'll start scrolling your phone and you think, can I do this to the glory of God? Yeah, this is just kind of mindless entertainment. I'm just taking a breather. I'm resting so I can, you know, do the other works that God has called me to do. And within a few minutes, that activity will no longer be restful. The returns will be diminishing. And that's a good sign that 
you either need to get back to work doing something else, or you need to find a way of resting that is truly resting, that is truly recreating you. That's what it looks like to rest to the glory of God. Every act in our lives that is not inherently sinful, every act that is done in faith and love can become an act of worship. And this is what it looks like to live out our calling as worshipers in all that we do. This is what it looks like to stay awake, to take our ordinary mundane lives and direct them as an act of worship and faith and love. So that's what it looks like to stay awake. What does it look like to fall asleep? So to fall asleep, it means anything that distracts you from your central calling as a worshiper. And the church has a word for this category of distraction, and it's right up there in the seven deadly sins next to sin like pride and wrath and greed. You know what it is? It's sloth. The Latin word is acedia. I mean, when you think of sloth, you usually think of laziness. You usually think of not doing something. But actually, you can be slothful and be very busy. You can be slothful and be very productive because sloth is about not doing what you are actually supposed to be doing. It's about becoming distracted from what you're actually supposed to be doing. I mean, so you think of this, you have like a, a big project or a paper that you're working on and you sit down to do it, but you notice, ah, you know, my study space, my room is just not clean. I'm going to clean this room first. You know, there's some dishes. I'm going to go take care of those. Come back, sit down. You're like, ah, the mood is just not right. I need a Spotify playlist. So you make your Spotify playlist. That gets you thinking about Christmas. You start thinking of the Christmas gifts you're going to get, you know, for your family members. You're very busy, but you're distracted from your calling in that moment. That's, that's a picture of sloth. Me very busy. But sloth goes deeper. It's not just this external distraction. But sloth, you know, at its deepest, most dangerous place is an internal distraction. Thomas Aquinas, he called it an oppressive sorrow at the thought of our ultimate good. It's when you think about what's actually good for you, you feel a, just a total lack of motivation. The Latin, acedia, means without care. So if I had one word for sloth, it might be this. It might be meh. That would be the word to describe this internal state of distraction. How do you feel about the fact that you have this incredible divine calling? Meh. How do, you, how do you feel about holiness, fullness of life that Jesus is inviting you into? How do you feel about that? Mm. How do you feel about the fact that you are filled with the presence of God, that you are filled with his Holy Spirit to give you grace to do what you cannot do on your own? How do you feel about that? Meh. That, that is what sloth is. That's what that sadness Sounds like. And sloth is dangerous. It's dangerous because it's everywhere. I think especially, you know, for those of us who live like relatively safe, stable, privileged lives, it can be easy to think, 
oh, I'm fine with God as long as he kind of stays over there. He does his thing. I do my thing. I don't ask much of him. He doesn't ask much of me in return. Just kind of that meh towards the spiritual life. Additionally, sloth becomes a breeding ground for other sin. So if you know that part of your ultimate good is, is connection with other people, but you know that that connection is going to require you know, things like courage, perseverance, putting yourself out there. It's going, to be, it's going to require hospitality to some degree. Sloth is that thing that says, why don't you just stay home and overindulge in some other things? You can satiate the pain of loneliness. Sloth says, why don't you forget the ultimate good? That's too hard to come by. Why don't you take pleasure instead? And if not resisted, I mean, sloth will eat at your soul. You'll become indulgent, selfish, bitter when things don't go your way, cynical about the possibility of growth, despairing that life could be any other way. And this advent alarm of of judgment of the master returning rings out to wake us up. There is more to life than meh. And so how does this Advent alarm, how does this, this judgment thing wake us up? It gives us these things. It gives us meaning, conviction, and hope. So as we talked about earlier, any task is difficult without a deadline. But as soon as that deadline comes, as soon as mom calls on the phone, hey, I'm going to be home in an hour, all of a sudden your life is filled with purpose. It's filled with meaning. This is why, you know, people who have a brush with death all of a sudden start rethinking everything that they were doing in their lives. All of a sudden they're cognizant. I'm not going to be here forever. What actually matters in my life? And it's important because this passage, it's not just about the second coming. It's about all of our lives because whether we meet the Lord when he returns or we die and are raised to meet him, we will be there on that day. And whether with our own death or his return, none of us knows the day or the hour. So what does the psalmist teach us? He says, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to think about the end that we might gain a heart of wisdom. In this Christmas season, you think about the Magi, and I love paintings of the Magi, the, the three wise men. Often in these like Renaissance paintings, you know, the, they'll kind of represent like the three ages of man. You'll have like a, a young guy in the back and then a middle-aged guy and then an older guy in the front. And there's an arc to their posture. So oftentimes the young guy is kind of standing like this and he's got his gift in his hand. And the middle-aged guy is starting to bend towards our Lord. And then the elderly guy is on his knees before the Lord. That's this arc of humility that age will give us if we allow it to, if we allow it to teach us. That's this arc of humility that, that the Spirit will teach us we're willing to think about our end, if we're willing to number our days. The end brings our lives meaning. It brings our lives conviction. 
you know, that deadline comes up and all of a sudden you're embarrassed at all of the, the time that you've been wasting. Anybody else a Myers-Briggs P? You know, that last letter? This is like where I live my life is being last minute and late. So I, I experience this embarrassment a lot. And when that embarrassment comes, you can kind of go two directions with it. You can feel shame and think, oh, I'm just a terrible person and go more deeply into those distractions to try to ignore that looming deadline. Or you can go the route of conviction, change, repentance. So there's this atheist writer named Julian Barnes, and he says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And I was thinking about that because I do believe in God, but I often have a similar feeling. I miss him. I miss prayer. My life will get so busy and frenetic, and I just, I just miss kind of that childlike time with the Lord. You know, I'll, I'll get kind of so frustrated with my family. I'll be in just kind of this posture of, of tiredness and frustration. What I find myself missing is gratitude, just enjoying the people that the Lord has placed in my life. When you have these, these little moments this month where you find yourself missing these things that are part of your ultimate good, let those be an opportunity, a little wake-up call, a gift from the Lord that allows you to repent and choose to press into what is actually good for you, what is actually life-giving. Lastly, the, the end brings hope, hope that our lives really do matter. I was working on, uh, I was you know, looking into my genealogy the other day, and I can name all of my grandparents. I think most of us can. You've got you know, four of them. But then when I thought about my great-grandparents, I realized I don't know any of these people's names. Maybe two out of the eight. And the thought occurred to me, these were people just like me. These were people just like me, which means that in just a couple generations, my name is going to be forgotten. And if the universe just goes on and on and on and without any end, then my life means very little. It's just like this little speck of sand. It's, it's here and it's gone. So I might as well just like live however I please. But the universe doesn't go on and on and on. It comes to an end. It comes to this day. And of course, then a new beginning opens up. But this means that your life as short and as unmemorable as it will probably be, your life will be remembered. I love the way this is pictured in Scripture. In in Revelation, the glory of the nations is brought into the heavenly city. You know, all the great works of art, all of the, the great works of science and engineering, all of them are offered to the Lord as an act of worship. The great things are remembered, but the small things I remember too. So you've got Matthew 25 and he says, you know, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. And then what will you say? When? When did we do those things for you? I don't remember that at all. And then he will recount to you when you gave this person a glass of water. 
when you gave this person a bite of food, when you extended hospitality, care, concern, welcome to this person. Everything you did for the least of these, I remember as if you did it for me. The end brings hope. The good things will endure. And so this Advent, may you and may I, may all of us hear the alarm ringing. But don't be afraid. The Lord tells us about judgment in order to wake us up. To wake us up to the fact that we have a glorious calling as worshipers of the one true God. To wake us up to the fact that the fullness of eternal life can be experienced even now in the ordinary and the mundane. Even now in this veil of tears as we await his soon return. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.